Welcome to Clearing the Haze, where we discuss the truth about vaping and key issues impacting the vapor industry. I'm Cynthia Cabrera and your host for the show. Today we have Dr. Thomas Glynn with us as our very special guest. He is the former director of Cancer Science and Trends for the American Cancer Society, and during his tenure he advised the ACS about emerging research and policy issues in cancer prevention and control domestically and abroad. He spent a long career at the U.S. National Cancer Institute, serving in various positions, including Associate Director for the Institute's Cancer Control Science Program, Chief of its Cancer Control Extramural Research Branch, and Research Director for the NCI's Smoking, Tobacco, and Cancer Program. He is also the recipient of numerous awards relating to oncology. He has served as Senior Scientific Reviewer for the U.S. Surgeon General's Reports on Tobacco and Health, as well as Director of the World Health Organization's Study of Health, Economic, and Policy Implications of Tobacco Growth. He is currently a consulting professor for Stanford University's School of Medicine. Please welcome Dr. Thomas Glynn to our show. Thank you for being on with us, Tom. Thank you very much, Cynthia. Looking forward to our discussion. Super. Okay. So you are widely published, and you've written extensively on many topics dealing with oncology. You've also written about vaping, and in 2014, you wrote an article for the ACS titled E-Cigarettes, It's Complicated, where you outlined areas of potential agreement between both sides, let's say. So we'll get to those areas of agreement later in the podcast, but first, what is it that prompted you to write about vaping? Well, as you pointed out in your kind introduction, I've been involved in a number of public health organizations over the years, and one of the things I learned early on is that we try and stay a bit ahead of the curve. And while writing about e-cigarettes in 2011 was not exactly uh, uh, being, making me a soupsayer, it certainly uh, was relatively early in the development of e-cigarettes and the larger harm reduction uh, discussion. Um, you know, in public health, you want to stay ahead of the curve as much as possible uh, right now with uh, Zika and trying to stay ahead of what the developments are there or in oncology in terms of the new data on HPV and so on. And in this case, uh, we were dealing with vaping, which had been basically introduced in the U.S. in 2007. By 2009, the first data were coming in. So 2011 seemed like a good time to try and get something out from the Cancer Society on what was going on with e-cigarettes. And it was already causing some rifts within the public health and medical community. So it seemed like a good time. So in your 2014 article, you commented that consensus in the scientific community was split from the time you wrote the article in 2011, despite the fact that there was more research on vaping and more awareness about it. Now we're in 2016. Has anything changed? And if not, why is there still such a lack of consensus among researchers when we're dealing with science here? Yeah, I think there has been some progress, and with an emphasis on some. Um, I think there's more of a middle ground right now. Uh, in 2011, sides were already beginning to be staked out, and there were uh, people tended to be on one side or the other. I think there has been now some more recognition that um, vaping, e-cigarettes, harm reduction does have a role in public health, and particularly in attacking the uh, combusted cigarette, which is public health, public health enemy number one. We need to keep on remembering that. That's, that's the aim here, is to get people to stop smoking combusted cigarettes. Um, so 2011, I think there are more people who are 
willing and able to listen to both sides of this issue. As far as the science issue is concerned, uh, yeah, I was lamenting in 2011, well, we don't have enough uh, data. Five years later, we have a lot of data. And the problem has become that it cuts both ways. I mean, you look at some studies and you think, ah, this is, uh, you know, we're, we're getting an answer here that, uh, that bacon is going to help reduce the burden of, uh, of combusted cigarettes. And then on the other, uh, there's one saying, no, it's going to lead to more, to the use of more combusted cigarettes. Uh, science is not an exact science. And we're still <laughs> fighting through the issue of how do we interpret the enormous amount of data that we've, that we've accumulated in these, uh, in these five years, 2011, 2016. I still go to meetings and, um, see people looking at exactly the same data and interpreting it differently, not because they're bad guys, but, or, but because they've been trained to look at data in one, in one way or another, and it, uh, it filters through their personal and professional experience. That's fascinating. Um, as you know, in the vapor industry, it, it can be very contentious, so <laughs> I, I totally get that. Um, okay, so you pointed out in your article that more than 50 leading researchers around the globe had petitioned the World Health Organization to change its negative view on vapor, on vapor products. This is what we're talking about. While just as many scientists said that the WHO should maintain its original stance. So vapor products aren't marketed as cessation devices, but do you think that there um, is an ethical bias among the researchers? You kind of alluded to that, um, but... Just to ask the question point blank, do you think there is an ethical bias among researchers and the organizations that support their respective data? I mean, there's a huge, there's a big dramatic gap when it comes to reporting on vapor products. For example, um, you know, MSNBC will present, you know, the, the study one way and Fox News will present it a whole other way based on how it's been filtered to them. So what do you think about that? Uh, first, I'd say I haven't seen an ethical bias. I certainly have seen biases, but uh, nothing that suggests to me that someone is uh, out to gain, to gain, and that's how I would define the ethics here, is out to gain something either monetarily or uh, something else to, in order to take a given stand. However, um, I've seen extreme views that uh, I look at those data and I don't understand how they came to the view, either pro or con. Uh, and and that goes for both individuals as well as, as organizations. So, uh, again, yeah, I mentioned earlier that, that uh, people look at data through their personal and uh, professional experience, and I think that's, that's what we're, we're still seeing. Um, now we can talk a little bit uh, uh, more about harm reduction, which uh, certainly vaping is, uh, is part of that, uh, that broader view. But uh, I think most of what I see is sincere data-based uh, views that uh, that end up on, on different sides. But I, I do want to emphasize that I am seeing more people saying, looking, looking at the data and saying, well, perhaps there is a, uh, uh, a role for vape products. And that's, that's that middle ground that I am seeing more of. And that this is, I would say, within the past year going to meetings that I'm seeing more of that rather than uh, the extreme views. There are still a lot of people on both, on both extremes, but I think less so. So the, I think the MSNBC Fox uh, uh, analogy is a good one. Different people view uh, uh, the same data with wildly different uh, results. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So let's move to the other side of the pond and the other side of, of how this is being approached for a moment. So Public Health England and the Royal College of Physicians, which is one of the leading medical institutions in the world, have embraced vaping as a harm reduction tool, even advocating their use. Why do you think the sentiment is so much different here in the U.S. as opposed to, you know, places like England? I mean, it's a huge divide. Uh, do we have three hours? <laughs> <laughs> We have as long as you need to give us the give us the bullets. <laughs> uh, it, I, I find I find the difference both astounding the difference between particularly the difference that the UK has taken compared to the US, uh, both astounding and sort of understandable. You know, it, uh, we have a common history in some sense, but very different histories in in, in the other. I mean, the US has always had a uh, somewhat more of a puritanical prohibitionist uh, streak. And I think there's that shows itself in our approach to not specific, certainly vaping product, but also uh, the uh, our approach to uh, to harm reduction uh, writ broadly. Just looking at how the uh, U.S. and the U.K. have differed over the years in our approach to, uh, to harm reduction, needle exchange, uh, widespread condom use, methadone. Um, the U.S. has adopted a good bit of that. But uh, reluctantly, the, the UK has tended to adopt it as a sound public health measure. Um, and specifically, the uh, Public Health England report coming out of the, uh, the RCP, the Royal College of Physicians, uh, is, is a great example of that. I mean, they, I, I, my opinion is they took a very uh, reasoned stance. I wish they had not uh, used, and I told them this, the 95% figure uh, that that uh, uh, e-cigarettes and uh, other vaping products are 95% safe. I think uh, assigning a specific figure is a very difficult thing to do. It only gives um, people who are opposed to uh, to these products ammunition. Uh, certainly, if you could have said they are considerably safer and so on, but that's a you know, we're quibbling at that point. The difference between the two, I still think, is this is this um, prohibitionist streak that the the U.S. has. And our view of addiction, uh, the UK is more willing to accept, in general, not everyone in the UK, a uh, people who uh, need to depend upon a, a, a given, uh, uh, say, drug. In this case, uh, nicotine. Uh, in other cases, heroin, and so on. But in the US, we tend to have a very strict dividing line that we want no addictions, caffeine accepted. <laughs> Thank goodness. For me, anyway. Um, so fascinating, by the way, about the 95%, because that is a number that um, has generated a lot of, again, contention. Um, it has, so. and I think, it's, I think it's unfortunate, because it took away a little bit from, that, from the importance of that report, because people zeroed in on the 95% instead of the very reasoned analysis that they gave for saying that the uh, public health, uh, the... Um, our health national health service should provide e-cigarettes and uh, and vape products as a as a way of helping people stop smoking. That was the news, not the ninety five percent. Yeah, you know it's interesting because here everybody glommed onto that ninety five percent because it was almost like being thrown a life raft. Right, you're in the mm -hmm. turbulent water, and it's like being thrown a life raft. I wonder if the in fact 
the the heart of the study or the meat of the study would have actually come across if the ninety five percent wasn't there. Yeah, you know, if, if the nuance right. would have been lost. It, you're you're right about that. In that, um, if if you want people to uh, to hear about and to read about and un- understand a little bit about the issue, um, you you do need a hook, and uh, to in order to get the media interested and so on. And without the ninety five percent, I agree. I'm not sure that that uh, uh, that it would have gotten as much media play, and consequently, people hearing about the study if they didn't. So it it's a, it's a uh, it's a difficult issue to deal with when you're trying to um, uh, stand out uh, in the midst of a lot of uh, of noise. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Tom. So, full disclosure, the American Cancer Society is not fully supportive of vaping and has stated that these products should be treated like tobacco products, straight, full-on tobacco products. So, I'm sure that our conversation today will be very interesting to people on both sides of the issue. And I know you don't speak on behalf of the ACS, but do you think that a vapor product that doesn't contain any tobacco should be considered an actual tobacco product? Um, first, I will just to emphasize, I can't, I don't speak for the ACS, which I still have, think is a, a wonderful organization that uh, has uh, very sincere and important views. Speaking for myself, I think it's... Uh, it's very unfortunate that tobacco is uh, that uh, vaping products are, begin, are considered tobacco products. Um, as you point out, there's, there is some tobacco in them, so therefore they shouldn't be treated as tobacco products. But we're dealing with a uh, uh, a legal artifact here. I mean, uh, the, the 2000 I think it was 2010 case, uh, Sotera. Uh, the uh, the courts said that uh, in order for the FDA to um, have jurisdiction over these products. They uh, they had to be considered tobacco products. So that's what we're we're left with that. And um, certainly, I think there are people who are using that as an opportunity to uh, condemn products. I don't think, and I this goes to you know, having been involved in numerous conversations within the ACS and with other organizations that they're not using the tobacco uh, the uh, the legalism. Uh, of tobacco, of um, e-cigarettes being considered tobacco products, but rather that they have to recognize that uh, from a from a legal standpoint, that's that's what we're, that's what we're stuck with. Um, and I, I think the FDA, and again, not even remotely speaking for the FDA, but I think the FDA, uh, you know, for whether they're comfortable with it or not, has to they do have to deal with the fact that that's what the court has said. So it's I think it's, it's unfortunate. And it's um, scientifically incorrect, um, but science and uh, the law don't necessarily always intersect correct- correctly. Yeah, that is uh, a disadvantage. <laughs> so, our industry was founded by former smokers, and it, it, you know, it's interesting. You said something earlier about how the goal is to remember that combusted cigarettes are the problem. And our industry, the vapor industry, was founded by former smokers that were looking for an alternative and found something that worked for them and, you know, were so happy with it that they decided to turn it into a business. They're small, medium-sized companies um, with no ties whatsoever to big tobacco. So my question is, 
how has big tobacco's entry into the category impacted the perception about vapor products, not only among the advocacy groups, but in your opinion, in the general public as well? I think it's been devastating. I think it's um, from the public health and medical communities, any connection, and I'm not, and I'll come back to that in a minute, to the tobacco industry is uh, almost a non-starter. And while um, the the vaping industry has, I think, taken gone to great lengths to make to try and make sure that it's clear that there is no connection between they and the tobacco industry. Um, that's lost on the general public and in truth among many people in the public health community. Um, and the fact that the tobacco industry has gotten in uh, to this in a relatively big way it is is unfortunate because it uh, it has taken away from I think from the potential for uh, people to um, for the public health community to embrace uh, vaping products and harm reduction uh, more easily. Uh, my own view is that uh, big tobacco has gotten into this not because uh, they necessarily see a market, but rather they uh, they want to squash a market. And the uh, the profit margin is still so much greater for the individual cigarette that uh, I don't, I just don't see the big tobacco being that interested ex, uh, in in vaping, except as perhaps a uh, a niche for people who um, have stopped and don't want to stop uh, using nicotine, but in general, I think uh, their their interest is is in continuing to sell the combusted cigarettes. Yeah, I know that for our part, it's problematic because now we find ourselves on the same side as big tobacco on some things, and it's impossible to explain it to the public. Yes, right. I, it's, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's a difficult argument to make, and. I mean, and in truth, um, I, you know, I think that um, the public health and the medical community is, are unlikely to embrace vaping in any case without data emerging, uh, demonstrating a, uh, a quitting or cessation effect from uh, vaping. Um, it's so you know, you're working against uh, two tides here. One is the tobacco industry coming in and uh, um, pushing. You know, pushing uh, the uh, the industry, perhaps if not out, at least uh, smearing it with with their uh, bad behavior from the past, as well as the fact that the, you know we're still lacking good data on whether uh, uh, vaping can help people stop. Certainly, I mean, you know, that's something we can talk about, perhaps. But um, yeah, I, I'm hopeful every day that um, I'm going to open up my uh, machine in the morning and see that. Uh, the definitive study has come out, but uh, saying that uh, that vaping has uh, has helped people stop smoking for a year or more, but uh, we're still unfortunately years away from those kind of data. Well, let let me ask you something then. If do do you believe that the potential exists that if the perfect study were to come out, the perfect study that showed that vapor products are a wonderful tool and should be embraced by everyone and they're considerably less harmful and the you know the the downsides are negligible if that study were to come out do you see the potential for antis for for the anti-tobacco people to just reject it 
because they want to keep continuing to punish big tobacco for previous behavior? Oh, sigh. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I think that you're correct in that. Um, I think there are um, individuals, some individuals in some organizations, which um, are intractable. They will not accept um, any form of harm reduction, and um, including uh, vape products. And uh, whether, no matter what the study is, they will feel... And not again, not because they're um, they're uh, um, ethically challenged or whatever, but rather because they feel that any uh, capitulation to the tobacco industry or to anything that may be uh, even indirectly connected to the tobacco industry is a just bad and b um, could harm public health. So I think I do think that there are there is some small percentage who will never come around. But I do think, and this is where I see more of the middle ground, as more data come out, whether it be anecdotal or whether it be um, a database, that they are more willing to uh, to look at all sides of the issue. So I, I think I think it's going to take some time, but um, the question is how much time there is before um, uh, deeming kicks in and so on as to whether the uh, the industry can survive. You were right before when you said we need three hours for this podcast. Um, <laughs> so, okay. The FDA issued the final deeming regs last month, that crazy black cloud of a day. Um, and you mentioned, um, you've mentioned that this is a good, th- these regulations will be a good step moving forward in providing objective advice to consumers. And while we support we, the vapor industry, support sensible regulation, we believe that these rules will actually, the new rules, will decimate the industry, right? It's going to create a too difficult pathway to market, um, especially for the small businesses that overwhelmingly make up the industry. So we agree with a lot of potential um, areas of agreement that you highlighted in your article. What are those areas, if you could share them, and what do you think is the most and least agreeable? Okay, um... Let me talk about some of the areas where I think we can have some agreement or already do, and then we can talk a little bit about uh, deeming, although I'll give my usual that uh, I'm not a lawyer and I haven't, I haven't read all, um, I don't know how many pages of it, but um, I could talk to it a little bit. As far as where we have some areas of agreement, and again, this is a little, I think we have reached some areas of agreement um, between 2011 and 2016. Um, <clears throat> I think there is basically... Anyone involved in this, and by this I'm talking about public health, medical community, vaping, will all agree that combustible cigarettes are the greatest threat. There's, I don't think there's any difficulty in, in agreeing with that. Also, that uh, e-cigarettes in any form shouldn't be marketed, sold to, or used by children and youth. That seems to be across the board, no, no problems in, um, in, in that. One place I think where we've made some progress is getting general agreement that e-cigarettes and other vapor products are are less harmful than combusted cigarettes, at least for short-term use. Um, it's amazingly, I think five years ago, we wouldn't, we didn't have that kind of agreement. I can go to a meeting now, and um, the most uh, anti-vaping people will still say, yes, um, uh, vaping products are less uh, less harmful than, uh, than combusted cigarettes in the short term. We, obviously, long term, we, we don't know uh, for sure the likelihood is 
the great likely, likelihood is that they're going to be less harmful over the long term as well. But we don't know what the effects of uh, inhaling heated propylene glycol are for 30 years. Um, so those are three, I think, right off. Combustibles, youth, and uh, uh, vapor products are less harmful. Um, certainly, uh, there's, I think there's agreement about marketing, that marketing needs to be uh, uh, you know, to adults and uh, eliminating unsubstantiated claims and uh, uh, advertising. I think the advertising has gotten a lot better uh, from the from vaping uh, industry in terms of making sure making sure to the extent possible that it's uh, that it's aimed at uh, adults. Um, so, I mean, those are those are some. Um, the other is, I think, an area of agreement is that uh, it's so difficult to characterize vaping products as a single entity. Um, uh, you know, that was it was difficult in 2011. I think it's e equally so here because there are so many different kinds. I've uh, had the opportunity to go into some vape shops, and I mean, there are, you know, the the choice is is overwhelming. I went into a candy store as a kid. It's just, uh, it's, it's, and some are going, some of the products might be different than others, and certainly the ones that you can buy in convenience stores and so on are going to be different. Uh, some are going to have uh, uh, very high formaldehyde uh, content and so on. Others are going to be uh, virtually benign. So we have, that's, I think, an area of agreement is that uh, there are widely varying uh, types of, uh, of, Vaping products available. Another area of agreement is we continue to need more research. I mean, I know that's uh, you know a mantra that we always say. Well, we need more research, but it obviously needs to continue, and particularly in the use of vape products as a as for cessation. Which I know you know a lot of people are going going into vape shops. That's not that's not what they're going in there for. They're not saying I need to stop smoking, but that is one of the uh, the reasons that people do use vape products. Um, so I think there are areas that uh, that we have agreement that we didn't necessarily have as much agreement about in 2011 as we do now. Um, as far as deeming is concerned, I understand the uh, the concern about um, about what it, what it's going to do to the uh, to the uh, uh, vaping industry. It's um, and specifically going back to the um, uh, the 2007 February, I think it's February 15, 2007. If it wasn't on the market uh, before, then you need to go, need to go through the um, approval process. Um, and I just can't. I, I I agree. I think it is. It, it's it's potentially very damaging. I don't know if there's going to be any, any amelioration for that or not. But um, it certainly, as uh, many people have been writing, will stifle innovation. Will uh, put and put a lot of people out of business. And I I think personally that uh, it will remove the opportunity for people to, many, some people to use um, vape products as a way to help them stop smoking, which is, again, the main aim in, uh, in public health. Yes, it's not a good situation. I mean, freeze technology, freeze innovation, remove consumer choice, and basically keep people on combusted cigarettes. Not a yes. good scenario. And, and no. destroying industry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all the boxes I, ticked. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, and, I, and I don't argue with that. Um, I understand you know, why uh, there are people who are, you know, concerned about, uh, uh, and I would be one of them about not letting products onto the market that uh, that are, you know, are not well vetted. But there are ways of doing that that uh, don't uh, have to stifle um, innovation or put an industry out of business. I'm so happy we agree on that. Um, earlier. 
you said something, you, uh, you, you were referencing studies, and one of the words that you used was, or anecdotal evidence. Um, there is a lot of anecdotal evidence, but it seems like the opponents or uh, the folks who are not inclined to give vapor a chance to, to realize its full potential as a harm reduction tool don't want to accept anecdotal evidence. But we have millions of people who have quit smoking entirely and now use vapor products. Do you have any suggestions or recommendations for what we could do about moving the needle for this particular a, thing? Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, um, in, when anyone, and many people in public health have gone to graduate school, and one of the bad words uh, that you're taught in graduate school is anecdote. That uh, if it's if it's <laughs> anecdotal, if it's anecdotal, it doesn't count. It did, it didn't happen. Um, so when you say you know, millions of people have stopped and uh, using vape products, I think that's entirely possible, but I don't know, um, and I don't. We can't know without good data on that. And I hope that I hope that's true because that's that's far. Our mutual aim here is, uh, I mean, I know that's not the vaping industry's aim. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, certainly that's a, it's a nice byproduct of the vaping industry if, if people use uh, vape products to stop smoking, but that's obviously not the only uh, reason people would use a vape product. But um, I, that's kind of a non-starter, the uh, anecdote. And I know others have written about it and people that I uh, have respect for, uh, Michael Siegel has written about it. Uh, about the use of anecdotes, and um, at the same time, I know, you know Mike, Michael is a good scientist, and um, he would bristle at the idea of using anecdotes for uh, uh, promoting colonoscopies. For uh, he's good, not only a good scientist, he's a good physician, and I think I I personally have um, well, I, I want to believe the anecdotes. I I can't um, operate by by anecdote. Right. It's it's interesting because of the hundreds, you know, if not thousands of people that I've met over the past four or five years doing this this job, all these business owners have told me that they got into it. And again, that it's not millions of people, but they've all gotten into it because they quit smoking. It was been you know, it helped them and so they wanted mm -hmm. to take their passion and turn it into a business, which is great. It's the American dream, right? Take what you're passionate yeah, and about. And I, and I, yeah, and I talk to the, the the owners or people who work there, and that that's very often a you know a personal story is that uh, they got into it because they used uh, a vape product to help them stop smoking. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Tom, you have a long history in developing and advising on policy. What do you think has to get done, or what do we need to do to get like both sides talking? You know, to get to the middle ground you were referring to earlier, and is it even possible? Yeah. Um, I, I was going to try and not use people's names. I know I just used uh, uh, Michael Siegel, who again we love been, Mike. Uh, yep, he's been very he's been very thoughtful on this. I don't always agree with him. He hasn't always agreed with me, but um, but I I enjoy reading his uh, his uh, blog and the, the points he makes. The other person I did want to mention is Scott Ballen, because Scott has been preaching for a number of years this uh, the concept of getting both sides talking. And I think he's had some success. I think that's why we do have a middle. It's because he and what he's done through the Morbid Dialogue and so on uh, have tried to do that. The Truth Campaign right now is trying to do that, too. Um, they've certainly been very cautious about uh, their products, but they also are trying to get people to uh, to sit down and talk and, and talk about this. 
So I think the the effort we need to continue that effort and need, with some urgency because um, if not, I'm afraid that um, uh, with uh, perhaps with what might might result from deeming and from public opinion that uh, that uh, vaping could start to be pushed to the margins, and that would be unfortunate. I, yeah, I, I've written about this. I think my first my first article was probably in 2010, where I first you know, addressed it at all, but I've felt all along, and I know you probably don't want to hear this, that, that vape products are probably going to be um, a, a bit of a niche product. They're, they're not, I think Bernie, Bonnie Herzog is the, is the third name, a, um, a wonderful analyst you know, for Wells Fargo, and when she first said a number of years ago that she thought it, uh, that um, uh, vape products would uh, become uh, the North or be more than half the industry that uh, as far as uh, um, use of uh, nicotine in uh, in ten years, I I was a bit skeptical, and I still am. That um, because I I could see where the scientific and medical and public health opinion was going, as well as knowing how people use products, that I I just didn't see them as being something that um, is going to overtake cigarettes. Cigarettes are still the perfect product, unfortunately. I mean, they are so easy to use. They deliver the uh, the nicotine quickly and so on. Vape products have gotten better at that, and they need to continue getting better if better if they're allowed to. Um, and at the same time, um, I just don't see them replacing uh, cigarettes. I, if they did, that would be wonderful, and that's something I hear consistently from people who I didn't expect to hear that from five years ago, who will say, listen, if everyone woke up tomorrow morning and was using a vape product instead of a cigarette who smoked cigarettes, I'd be happy, but um, we're still away some time away from that. But I do agree with Scott and others that we this dialogue needs to continue. I know he, he and uh, University of Virginia did the last of their Mormon dialogues, but I'd like to see something like that continue. And as I say, what uh, the, what uh, Truth Campaign and others are doing, which is trying to get people to uh, to talk and not uh, not yell at each other. Yeah, I've been in this for forty years, and I have in tobacco control. I have. There has nothing been close to the uh, the difficulty in talking about this issue compared to others. You know, in the 1980s, when the nicotine gum first came out, there was a lot of discussion about whether it was going to medicalize uh, the, uh, the tobacco issue too much or whether uh, this was just a, a bad idea to, uh, to try and use a pharmaceutical product to help people stop and there was discussion about that, and certainly people took sides, but there wasn't the kind of enmity that uh, that I'm seeing with uh, with the whole vape uh, issue. And we need to change yeah, that. It's a little shocking and disturbing to see how much antagonism there is. Um, but to your point about Scott, I have a lot of fondness for Scott, and I, I have a special place reserved for him because he was the first one about two years ago who um, contacted me and asked to meet, and I I really didn't know him, um, and he wanted to talk to me about, you know, he had seen me at different places, and he he had heard me speak at a couple of places, and he said, you know, I'm starting to think that the vapor thing might be the real deal, and maybe we need to start brokering something and looking at something, and I really, I applaud him for being willing to give the vapor industry latitude and and to it you know to at least listen long enough to get that dialogue going and he actually spoke at a safada conference last year and so i i have a lot of appreciation for scott 
Um, thank you for mentioning him. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so how can people stay in touch or follow you? Um, I, my, my email address is tom.glynn at stanford.edu. And uh, I spend most of my time following others uh, rather than uh, that. I certainly uh, you know, look, look at all the, uh, the listservs and blogs uh, most days to try and keep up on this, this issue and others. Um, you know, I read them fairly religiously and uh, uh, shout at the computer when I agree and disagree. But, <laughs> um, Is it working? Yeah, I mean, uh, no. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe maybe my maybe my shouting has uh, helped create this uh, this middle road. I don't know. Um, you know, one other thing I did want to point out, and you can work this in, uh, perhaps, is that one of the things that um, I think that's affecting a lot of the the dialogue right now about uh, vape product is that the tobacco control is really riding a bit of a crest in the U.S. In that there has been a good deal of um, a success recently in terms of you know we're down around fifteen. Looks like the data are suggesting, at least, that we're at down around 15% now, but still 40 million people. And I think as there is, more, as there appears to be continuing success, instead of giving vaping products uh, so, some kudos for helping accomplish that, there's, I think, an equal number of people who are saying this shows we don't need them. So I think there has to, there's some element on. Um, uh, the vaping product industry to uh, try and point out that uh, you know I know it's um, it's only contemporaneous there are, uh, that there has been the success uh, recent uh, crest of success in tobacco control and which coincides with uh, the rise of the uh, vaping industry but I think that ne that needs to be pointed out certainly some have done that. I think it needs to be done uh, a little bit more. The other thing I too wanted to say is that as far as the vaping industry is concerned, I think it can help itself by continuing to take a high road and not get into uh, uh, personalities or um, uh, name calling and so on, which has not been the case. But I think continue to take that high road, continuing to really push on the no kids issue, which again, you've been doing, but need to continue that continue to um, segue from some of the earlier advertisements that uh, that could have been construed as uh, trying to entice kids to ones that are focused on adults. And I think that's uh, that trend is, uh, is already there. Um, I would also urge, and I know this is controversial, uh, as far as flavoring is concerned, to stick with simple flavors, cherry, grape, and so on, and not give them the fancy names like uh, gummy bear and so on. I think that does nothing uh, but give ammunition to people who want to uh, condemn the vaping industry and um, do everything you can to continue to dissociate yourself uh, from the tobacco industry um, because uh, I think that can only help in terms of bringing more people to that, to that middle ground and continuing to say that uh, the enemy is the uh, combusted cigarette. And we didn't even talk about nicotine, which is a whole other I know. term. I yeah, know. I mean, we, we're going to have to do another podcast because <laughs> we, we've got another three hours of material to cover. Right, right. Yep. <laughs> but that is all excellent advice. So yep. thank you so much for being on. It was a pleasure having you. This was a great conversation. I'm looking forward to doing this again. Um, so I want to thank everyone else for joining us today. 
You can also visit safada.org to download this podcast as well as past shows, and you can also get the top 10 vapor facts, demystifying misconceptions about the vapor industry. And remember to follow Safada on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, this is Cynthia Cabrera. Thank you for listening.